Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, where we interview the senior leaders in large accounting firms and networks to talk about juicy topics like leadership, vision, culture, talent, growth, change, performance, and strategy. I'm your host, Rob Brown, and I'm delighted to introduce today's guest, who is the Chief Executive of the MSI Global Alliance, Tim Wilson. Welcome to the show. Hello, Rob. Good morning. Well, good morning to you, and great to have you on the show. Tim, for the benefit of people listening that may not have come across you, would you just tell us a little bit about your background and what you do right now? I'm the Chief Executive of MSI Global Alliance. Um, MSI is a network of 250 law and accounting firms in 100 different countries. It works as an association whereby all the firms are independent firms. Um, I've been with MSI for almost uh, four years as chief executive, and we have um, a small office which uh, works out of the centre of London. It sounds glamorous. You're all over the world. Tell us a bit about why an accounting firm might want to join a network. The network was created 28 years ago, where two mid-sized firms, one based in Germany and one based in the UK, came together and said, look, increasingly, what we're trying to do is to provide a service to our clients who have aspirations to do business um, around the world. And increasingly, those firms did not necessarily have the ability to to find like-minded Um, accounting firms or law firms in other jurisdictions. Mm. So the concept was to create a network where similar mid-sized firms uh, would be connected around the world so that if a client went to a firm in Germany, they said they wanted to do some business in Australia, that MSI would have a firm in Sydney, for example, who was able to provide the appropriate advice to that client. It meant the client was happy, the client remained with that German firm as a client. And indeed, the Sydney firm then was able to receive a referral from somewhere where he may not have otherwise got a referral. So in a way, it's sort of um, it, it, there are lots of winners in the whole game. And really what my job is, is to try and make sure that, that I uh, grease the wheels, if you like, of that network by making sure that people have got the opportunity to make the right sort of connections and that those are to be of mutual benefit. And in terms of networks, there are Lots of choices for accounting firms. What makes MSI Global so special? Well, you're right. And actually, there was a there was a big growth of the network world, particularly in the accounting world, 20, 25 years ago. And there are competitors. What I think makes MSI special is that we, right from the very outset, 28 years ago, we wanted to connect both lawyers and accountants. Mm. So that separates us out from others. Uh, Of course, more recently, you've seen people like the big four get into the legal space, realize that there is real benefit in in accountants being able to connect with lawyers, um, as well as similar accountants around the world. So, So that's what separates us out. And we have pretty much 50-50 in terms of our size, same numbers of law firms um, and accounting firms. And of course, there are also legal networks out there as well. And, uh, you know, they again are competitors, but again, almost exclusively, they are purely operating in the legal space. So I think that multidisciplinary aspect very much sets us apart from others. Yeah, that makes good sense. And in terms of communication, do you find that the accountants tend to network, talk more to each other, or is there good 
cross-fertilization, if you like, between them and the, uh, the law firm? Well, that's a good question. You know, I mean, I think that all of us will know that, that accountants and lawyers are, are somewhat different beasts. Um, yeah. they're, all, they're, they're both providing professional services. I, I think probably the accountants perhaps are, are perhaps a bit more business-oriented than lawyers. Lawyers do tend to be more sort of transactional, whereas I think accountants will tend to be a little bit more business-oriented, uh, a little bit more perhaps entrepreneurial as well, because they're routinely operating with a number of different clients, uh, very much on a more advisory, routine basis. And so I think there is a little bit of difference now. That point of view yeah inevitably most accountants will make referrals to other accountants and lawyers will make referrals to lawyers yeah. but what you do often find is in a particular jurisdiction you might have in one particular city you might have a law firm which does work very closely with our msi accounting firm and i think that can really generate some useful business and they can share clients and and, and really work off each other and that's um, that's very heartening when you see that working in practice so what in your view separates the good from the great firms i travel all around the world see a lot of different firms sort of fairly different sizes and different cultures and i think that what probably separates the good from the great is the great firms will really look to innovation look to see how they can do things differently. But also I think that they will have the client very much at the center of everything that they do. And I think that the good firms can sometimes be a little bit introspective um, and look to themselves and their own development, not at the exclusion of the client, but I don't think they necessarily put the client at the forefront. So I would say innovation and the focus of clients are probably the two aspects which I think separate out the great from the good. So what does client-centric look like? A lot of firms would claim to have their client at the centre of their proposition. But mm. in, in practice, what does that look like? Well, I think it's having a clear understanding about what your client actually wants and what he needs from, from either his accountant or, 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 or his lawyer, that they actually understand what the business is, they understand some of the challenges that that business is facing. They understand the strategy of that business. Um, and, and increasingly, uh, I think that what that's led on to is people looking, I'm talking more on the, on the accounting side now, becoming much more um, sector specific, where an expertise is built up in, in a particular sector, that they're able to then promote that, not only to existing clients, to, but, but to prospective clients, and really build up a sort of massive expertise in that particular field. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges that accounting firms are facing right now, particularly if they want to grow? Well, I think the biggest challenge that I would say is probably the whole technological development. Um, and you know, I think that people are at the moment quite fearful of artificial intelligence, the development of robots, where technology is heading to and, and how they can, in a way, be ahead of the game. And I think that you know, some firms are not too frightened about that and they see that as all quite exciting. But I think the majority of firms, they're just a bit fearful about the whole thing, almost to the extent of putting head in the sand and thinking, gosh, it, we know it's coming, but we don't really know what to do about it. It's therefore the ability to understand it, to embrace it, to exploit it in a way, but also then to adapt 
accordingly. And I think that those are the biggest challenges in terms of how people may want to sort of develop their business in the coming years. Yeah. You've talked about specific sectors or niching. You've talked about technology. If I were to ask you where the opportunities are for growth for large accounting firms, what are you seeing coming up for them? It's more going into the advisory side, definitely. You know, the good accounting firms, I think, are looking much more at diversification, looking beyond what they may have traditionally done and being able to be much more of a trusted advisor. But what's interesting also is that there are some sort of traditional skill sets which have sort of come back in, things like bookkeeping, which may have been pushed out. You know, in some cases, actually, people are looking to bring that back in as a sort of service to be provided. But I think the most critical thing, actually, is that aspect of advisory, the trusted advisor, and going beyond purely looking at accounts and advising on accounts or looking at audit. And how do you advise the accounting firms in your network to move over to the advisor from the compliance stuff? Because it's okay saying we want more advisory work. How do they even start doing that? What I try to do is through our sort of networking program over the course of the year to raise people's horizons in a way and open their eyes to some of the opportunities and, and to share thoughts and ideas from other other firms who may be sort of perhaps bigger, more progressive or firms from elsewhere in other different parts of the world, which may be looking at it from a different perspective. What should be the hiring policy, Tim, for progressive firms who want to grow and stand out? Because talent's a big issue, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Coming back to the advisory piece, I think that the sort of person being recruited into an accountancy firm now, nowadays, is perhaps very different from the person who may have been recruited 20, 30 years ago. There has to be much more of an emphasis on soft skills, emotional intelligence, which perhaps would have been viewed as a bit sort of fluffy and irrelevant 30 years ago when actually you wanted someone who was, you know, numerate and who was able to to understand implications of, of figures. You know, now those soft skills and that emotional intelligence, I think, is really important because actually how can you be an effective advisor and a trusted advisor on a more routine basis unless you have some form of an empathy um, with the client? So I think that's one critical aspect. I think the other aspect is that, you know, we hear uh, talk of millennials. A good firm needs to recognize that each generation is going to be different and each generation is going to look at work, the workplace, what they want out of life in very different ways to the previous generation, that the good firm needs to continue to recognize the different requirements of potential employees and be prepared to adapt in order to meet those requirements. And that's not a question of bending over backwards. One needs to make sure that one doesn't fall into that trap of we've always done it this way and like it or lump it. Business needs to be run in a dynamic way and is adapting to to cultural, generational changes, you know, as they evolve. Accountants, they're not trained on the soft skills, though. So are you advocating that there's better training and qualifications around soft skills, or once you get them in, train them on the soft skills? It's quite difficult to train soft skills. It's a little bit like you can't develop IQ. I don't think you can necessarily develop EQ. You know, you can't suddenly be made more intelligent. You can be more sort of academically proficient by good teaching, but it won't necessarily make you more intelligent and therefore increase your IQ. You need to be able to identify those people who've got the people skills. And in some jobs, you may not need 
them to be extremely developed. In others, you might want them to be very developed. And so there needs to be some form of a measure, depending on how you're going to perhaps employ that person or indeed develop that person over the course uh, of their career. I can see there's going to be a war for talent because there's apparently uh, more accountants dying and retiring than there are coming into the profession. And if those coming in are not particularly soft-skilled, if you like, then uh, they're going to be few and far between. Yeah, exactly. I think that's absolutely right. I think that's absolutely right. It brings on to my next question, Crystal Ball. If we look at what's critical for large progressive professional firms over the next few years, what do you see coming up on the horizon? Well, I would say that you know the whole technological area, it's a question of staying ahead of the technological developments. So I think understanding what they are and understanding what they mean for, for your particular firm. I think it's recruiting well and intelligently um, in order to meet some of those technological challenges, but also to um, to complement the technological side. Because I think that what you will increasingly have is is a lot of the more functional roles which humans have done in the past will now be taken on by um, by, by robots or artificial intelligence, and therefore actually filling in the gaps is the human aspect and therefore one needs to make sure one's recruiting the right sort of people and that one's then in a position to be able to retain them that they're they're going to be fulfilled in terms of their career they're going to be developed appropriately and so and so i think that the whole aspect of retention and the whole work environment um, i think is going to be really important over the next um, over the next few years and so that people not only embrace the technology adapt or apply the technology to the firms, but also recognize the human interaction and how you can actually both recruit and retain talent moving forward. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of change in the professional services landscape, accountants and lawyers, firms swallowing each other up and uh, lots of moving about. In terms of growth, Tim, uh, are you seeing any changes in the way firms are winning work? And, And what do you see might happen in the future? Because they want market share, don't they? They want to grow. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's going to continue to be very competitive. I mean, what sets people apart? I mean, you know, I think it probably comes back to that whole empathy with clients and, and understanding clients and, and not just viewing them as a, as a bit of a cash cow. You know, that, I think, will separate people apart. But I think that those who don't, don't embrace those sort of um, uh, models will will end up sort of falling to one side. How did you get into what you do, Tim? Because you, you're not an accountant or a lawyer, are you? I'm not neither. It actually makes it very easy for me in a way because um, because we have got lawyers and accountants, well, and there's some people within the network actually who are both lawyers and accountants, but they're a fairly rare beast. But no, I'm neither. I spent 28 years in the in the British military, traveling the world, doing all sorts of uh, fairly interesting things. And I decided to leave the army a little bit earlier to go into the commercial world. And I was lucky enough to to end up with MSI, who were looking for someone who was able to, to pull together different people, different cultures, to do a lot of the organizational side of things. And, um, you know, here I am nearly four years later, thoroughly enjoying myself. Is it easier to get a regiment to do something than uh, getting a law or an accounting firm to do something? <laughs> That's a, that's a very good question. I, I, mean, I remember when I first uh, was appointed to this, this job, someone said to me, oh, well done. Working with lawyers is a bit like herding cats. And lawyers and accountants do have views. But actually, in many ways, there, there are massive similarities because 
in the military, there is a perception that, you know, you shout loudly, someone does the job for you. But actually, if you shout that you're going to attack a particular hill and it has absolutely no logic to it at all, um, ultimately you run the danger of being shot in the back by your troops. Uh, so, so actually what you do find is that you've got to build up an element of trust. They've, they've got to trust you. You've got to trust them. They will not take orders blindly. And particularly when you move away from a regiment and you work into, in a more strategic environment, which is what I did, you've got many different stakeholders at play there. And the stakeholders may be local indigenous tribesmen in in Iraq. They may be the foreign office. They may be the local government. They may be the local police. You know, there are lots of people who are stakeholders and you've actually got to sort of get them on side and and determine what the best way forward is. And and, and there are massive similarities there in the commercial world that that a lot of it is all about, um, uh, you know, finding out people's views, finding out people's opinions, um, and deciding the best course of action following fairly lengthy process of consultation. You know, sometimes in the military, that process of consultation has to be pretty pretty quick because you, you haven't got time to deliberate. But often on the more strategic side, it, you know, the deliberation does take a considerable amount of time in order to make the right decisions. So interestingly, there are, I, I found there are more similarities and differences having sort of moved on to the commercial world. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of leaders in professional firms will relate to that. Uh, What do you love most about what you do? I think it's probably the aspect of dealing with people routinely and dealing with people from many different cultures and countries. I find that fascinating. It's really interesting spending some time getting to know people, finding out sort of what motivates them, finding out about their business, finding out about some of the challenges that they may have in their own jurisdiction, finding out sort of, you know, how they may approach things culturally in a different way from another part of the world. And so I think there is often a danger that you try to impose a sort of one size fits all. And that, and that one size tends to be a sort of Western European, North American ideal. And I don't think that world works in that way at all. And I think that what's interesting is, you know, the de- developments within Asia. Suddenly people need to realize that, uh, that there's a different world out there with different cultures. Um, and, and, and the old model is no longer um, applicable. But, uh, but no, what I really like is, 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 is finding out about these different cultures, finding out about different challenges from one country to the next and, and just engaging with people routinely. Yeah. And, and having known you as a friend for a few years, you're an inveterate learner. Is there a thinker or a book or a movement that's most shaped your philosophy for life and business? I taught military strategy for, for three years at the Defence Academy. And I suppose the the, the classic book um, or cl- classic philosopher is Clausewitz, um, who wrote on war, talking about sort of uh, political military strategy um, and the interconnection of those two. And actually, I think a lot of what he says to, to a large extent is is, is applicable. Um, you know, he and he was writing, you know, two two three hundred years ago. A lot of what he's written um, is applicable, you know, today. And so I think there are some of those sort of military strategists like Clausewitz. He was certainly fairly influential to me. There's one book which I I read about a year ago, which I found fascinating. Which, uh, in a way, I wish I had read it many many years ago. And it was written, but it's been written by a chap called David Brooks. And it's called The Road to Character. 
And he describes two different uh, personalities or beasts, if you like, and he terms them Adam 1 and Adam 2. And he describes Adam 1 as someone who is a very much career-minded, career-driven, and they want to be judged on their CV and what's on their CV. And then Adam 2 is someone who is uh, more aware of personal aspects, maybe family, it may be friends, and those other things which are, sort of, if you like, outside one's career. And that particular person is more driven by their eulogy and what, what people may say about them, you know, when sadly we all, we all die at some stage, but um, what, what people may say about that individual at the eulogy. And I think that what the book basically says is that, is that all of us have, a, have the challenge of Adam 1 and Adam 2. And it's trying to find that balance between those two aspects, which I think is really important. And I think that, you know, perhaps at a younger stage in one's career, one may be much, much more driven by the Adam 1, the careerist, uh, and getting, you know, climbing up the slippery, slippery pole. Um, and I think perhaps as, as, as Adam too, uh, as, as your, as your career develops, um, you know, perhaps Adam too comes into sharper focus. But I think that what the book is saying is that, you know, one ought to really be mindful of those two aspects and, and live by those two aspects and, and allow the two to complement each other, but live side by side throughout your career. So I find that a fascinating book and, you know, highly recommended, actually. And I think that it's quite a useful just guide for life, actually. And he cites some wonderful historical examples in his book as well. So highly recommended. Yeah. And is there a great piece of advice you've been given in your career that stood you in good stead? Enjoy the journey um, and don't focus on the destination. You know, we are only on this planet for, you know, a few years and um, you don't want to be sort of sat in your deathbed thinking, well, I've achieved a lot, but actually it's been a bit of a bit of a hard graft all the way along the line. You want to actually be able to have enjoyed it as you've gone through those processes. And so I think enjoy the journey. Don't focus on, on destination is the first key bit of advice. And I think the second bit of advice is something which really only came to me later in life when I when I moved from the military into the commercial world. And it's the whole concept of networking, broadening your horizons so that actually every person you meet, you're not, you're not networking from an ex exploitation point of view. But actually, every person you meet, you may learn something from them. You may be able to help them as much as they help you. And it may be that you won't necessarily help each other out for, for two or three years. And, um, and I've, I've benefited massively from that. Actually, you know, I had a network from the military and I found people were very, very helpful when I was making the transition. I've been able to do the same for, for others, but also day to day. Of course, I'm running a network and therefore by definition it's important. But actually, I can really see the benefit in people just getting to know people, building up and out of trust. And once that is created, can really lead to all sorts of opportunities for, for everyone, actually. I couldn't agree more. And Tim, if, if people want to get in touch with you or find out more about MSI Global, how might they reach you? They're very welcome to find me on LinkedIn. Go on to MSI's website, www 
msiglobal.org. Well, Tim, this has been great. Would you leave us with your vision for MSI Global? I know you've got some big plans. What do you want to achieve? What would be your legacy? Well, I think the critical thing for me is not just to continue to evolve. I want to do something somewhat differently. And I see there are massive challenges in the technological sphere, as I've spoken about already, the generational sphere as well. And I think it's it's not only making sure that MSI is relevant for the future, but it is really able to enhance the experience and, and provide even better support to our both our clients and our firms at clients. And we're very keen to ensure that it is not purely evolutionary. It really is looking at some of those outside challenges and that we really are able to ensure that MSI is very much at the forefront of the profession and providing an absolute first-class service to law firms and accounting firms who want to be part of our network. Well, Tim Wilson, it's been great talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Dean, Rob. You've been listening to the Accounting Leaders Podcast with me, Rob Brown. I want to personally thank you for spreading the word and sharing our show with your accounting network. And if you are an accountant who wants to master the skills of winning business for your firm and enhancing your income and career prospects, our Business Development Academy site has some great training for you at bdacademy.pro. Now do connect to me on LinkedIn and at the Rob Brown on Twitter. I'd love to hear what you think about this show and our other hugely popular sister podcast, Accounting Influence. Until next time, enjoy the rest of your day.